looking through Daniel chapter, all of Daniel, Dan, uh, all of Daniel, and now we're into Daniel chapter 12, and we've been looking at the judgment scenes. Uh, we're going to look tonight, again, a little bit out of Daniel 12 and the rest of the other parts of the Bible. Rest and arise. So in Daniel chapter 12, verse 13, it says, But you go your way until the end, for you, Daniel, shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. So we've been talking about these last days, at the end of days. So what is this? Arise, rest, and you will arise at the end of days until the end. And in verse 2, same chapter, Daniel chapter 2, 12, verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So arise and awake. And, uh, and so as we've looked at some of those other texts, out of Revelation 11, verse 15, the seventh angel sounded the time of the dead that they should be judged. So future tense, at the end of time, a judgment will take place. And the seventh angel, out of the seven angels in Revelation, so it's the seventh angel, the last angel. We've looked at the fifth angel and the sixth angel in other sermons that you can see on shalomadventure.com and Daniel chapter 11 on uh, where we are in these last days. So the fifth angel's already sounded his shofar and the sixth angel's already sounded and we're in that. So we're right between the sixth and the seventh and then the seventh comes and blows his, makes his sound, blows his shofar, the time of the dead that they should be judged, the judgment time. Matthew 12, verse 41, Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. The queen of the south, queen of Sheba, will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. And so we've already seen in Daniel, he's talking future tense. Matthew's talking future tense. Here, in, uh, Yeshua is referring to future tense of this judgment in the future. It will rise in the judgment. That Nineveh will rise, arise, and Daniel will rise, arise. And here, Nineveh will rise, and the queen of Sheba will rise in that day of judgment, in that last day. Matthew 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his angels, a uh, father, with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. So again, he's coming in his glory, and that's when he's bringing his reward, and so the judgment, and then he brings his rewards when he comes. Very similar in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. So very clearly, his rewards are given when he comes. And in order for him to bring his rewards, he has to judge first, right? Before of the final uh, grades can be given, the tests have to be examined and gone over and judged rightly and correctly. Before the uh, jury can come out with their decision, they have to sit first and judge, and then they can come out with their verdict, their reward, either for uh, guilty or not guilty. Matthew 13, verse 30, let both the wheat and the tares grow together until the harvest. So staying together until the end, until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, at the very end, I will say to the reapers, gather first the tares together and bind them in bundles to burn them. So the destruction of the wicked at the harvest time and simultaneously gather the wheat into my barn. So also uh, other parables that Yeshua gave of sheep and goats, separating them at the very end of time and, and doing it simultaneously. And also um, as in the days of Noah and as in the days of Lot, simultaneously destruction of the wicked and rewards to the righteous. 
deliverance for the righteous. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the shofar of God, and the dead in Messiah shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So again, like we read, this is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, as we read from Revelation, as we read from Matthew, that when the Lord comes, he comes with his rewards, he comes with his judgment, he comes and he raises the dead with the shofar sound, with the last, the seventh shofar, the seventh sounding of the seventh angel. So here the archangels coming with his shofar, blowing and sounding, and the dead in Messiah will rise, will rise and rise first. And then we which are alive and remain, together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, again future tense, in which all that are in the graves, all that are in the graves, shall hear his voice and, send, and shall come forth. All that is in the graves shall come forth when the hour that is coming, that judgment day, that judgment hour, is coming, future tense, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So two different resurrections, and we'll get into that, the details of that, on another week in another sermon, but it's still future tense, and when this was written, it's still future tense for us, at the end of time, the last trump, at the time of the harvest, resurrection of life, resurrection of damnation, they shall come forth all that are in the graves. That's from John chapter 5. So from all these multitude of tests, te texts from all parts of the Bible, from Revelation, Daniel, and Matthew, and John, and various different texts that we looked at, we see very clearly the judgment is in the future. The judgment is at the second coming of the Messiah. The rewards are given at the second event, the second coming of the Messiah. The rewards for the resurrection of life, the resurrection of damnation. The separating of the righteous and the wicked are at the end of the age, at the harvest, at the second coming of the Lord. The wheat, the tares, at the end. And the resurrection of the righteous is at the second advent, the second coming of the Messiah. That's when the resurrection takes place. All that were in the grave shall hear his voice and come forth. And pretty clear from these texts that we've seen. Pretty plain. And so that brings to mind a, a logical question, a common question after we've looked at these texts. What then happens to our deceased loved ones until the time of the judgment, until the rewards are given out, until the final separation of the righteous and the wicked, until the resurrection? That was a specific question that was asked me last week after we looked at the judgment being in future. Some of these texts that we just looked at, and then we discussed a little bit about the judgment that will take place. Well, the logical question then is, well, then what happens until the time of the judgment? If, if the Queen of Sheba is not going to rise until then, if Nineveh is not going to rise until then, what have they been doing since then? If Daniel is going to not arise until then, until the end, then what's he been doing since then? Right? That's a good logical question and a very important question for us to understand because the devil has been lying about this question since the very beginning of time. And we'll get more into that in just a second. So to get the answer to this, let's go back to those texts in Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, our key text for this week. Daniel 12, verse 2, for many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, 
and uh, shame and some to everlasting contempt. Verse 13, but you go your way until the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. So very clearly uses these words, you will sleep, you will rest until the end of time. It's a clear description there in the book of Daniel. But not only in the book of Daniel, Deuteronomy, God speaking to Moses, he said, Moses, you shall sleep with your fathers. And in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 10, it says, David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And regarding Solomon, Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Now, there was a special resurrection for Moses that took place, and, uh, and that's mentioned in the book of Jude. But, uh, but initially, the Bible says he slept with his fathers. And the same with David, and the same with Solomon. I was sharing this with a, a young lady one time, and uh, I said, do you understand what, what, what's going on here? And she had this shocked look on her face, and she said, do you mean that David was a homosexual? No, that's not what it means, right? You know, so, so we had this you know, perverse generation that we live in, you know, the minds that are just down this thing. But this is what the Bible, how the Bible describes it. It means he was slept, he buried with the same place where his fathers were buried, in the sepulchre. They're all in the grave, because all that are in the grave will arise at that time. Right? So it uses this word, slept with his fathers. And not only there, I don't know, can anyone read that? Maybe I don't have my glasses on. I'm having a hard time reading that. I, I tried to put all the text together in one slide, and uh, so I got as small a font as I could find that refer and use this term, either sleep or rest, as referred to in the Bible. And starting from Deuteronomy, going all the way to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, all these various kings, all these different people that the Bible describes slept. Over 60 different verses there of using this term all throughout the Bible, from the Torah to almost the very end. This is the phrase that the Bible uses over and over and over again. Many, many writers have used this term. So in the book of Acts, Peter referred to it this way. David did not ascend into heaven. And then Paul in Acts chapter 13, verse 36, David fell asleep and saw corruption. Now both Peter and David are using this, from, uh, said this because they were preaching and they were using a text out of the Psalms which says his Holy One will not see corruption. And so then they use that reasoning, who was David talking about? Was David talking about himself, that he wouldn't see corruption? No, David's tomb is right here with us. David has not ascended into heaven. David has fallen asleep. David has seen corruption. So who is he referring to when he wrote that? He was referring to the Messiah who did not see corruption, who was resurrected on the third day. And so they're using that text and they're referring and you're using David as an example of someone who has slept, who has seen corruption, and who remains there until this day and who did not ascend into heaven. Psalms 13, verse 3. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Well, that's pretty clear poetry there, using this phrase, sleep, and referring to it clearly as what happens when we die. Here's a tombstone back in the 1800s when uh, society, I think, was more Bible literate than we are today, where we have Bibles all over the place and hotels all over the place, on phones and, and stores all over the place, and yet uh, I think they were more Bible literate then. So this person died uh, in 1907, I think, at the age of 26 years of age, and it says, asleep in Jesus. 
That's a very clear using the term. Where'd they get that term? When they put down the tombstone, where'd they come from? Where'd they get that term from? From the Bible, right? That's the text we've been reading. From Peter and from Paul and from John and from Matthew and from Daniel and from Deuteronomy and 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles. The term rip on, uh, on tombstones, right? What does rip mean? Why do they put rip on a tombstone? Rest in peace. That's right, rest in peace. Right, here's a tombstone that actually says that. I've written out. All right, Roy F. Berry died in 1997. Rest in peace. That's the phrase, rest in peace. Yep. And so we, we use that term, right, in the sleep term. What happens if you have, you know, your little fluffy dog there, and uh, he gets into a fight in the backyard with some raccoon, and he gets rabies, or he's got some horrible disease or something like that, and you take him to the vet, and he's going to say it's going to cost you $30,000, and you decide this fluff ball is not worth that much, and so what do you do with him? You tell the vet to put him to sleep. Yeah, put him to sleep. Right. Yeah, we use that phrase. Right. My grandmother used to use the phrase rest in peace all the time. She'd be talking about someone who already died. She mentioned his name. Oh, you remember Sam? And may he rest in peace. And then go on with her sentence, right? I started telling her, Grandma, he doesn't have a choice. He is resting in peace. He, has, he doesn't have a choice about the matter, right? He's at rest. He's resting and he's peaceful. It's the rest of us here that are still alive that are having problems in this earth. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5. The living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. They don't know anything. Right? Just like when we're asleep. We have no idea what's going on when we're asleep. Right? We, someone can tiptoe through our room and we might not even know it. Right? We, it could start raining outside. Unless we wake up, we wouldn't even know it. We don't even have a concept of time. We don't know how, how much time takes place when we're sleeping. Right? There are people who fall asleep in the sermon. They don't know what they've missed. Right? They wake up. <laughs> right? and they, but it's better to sleep in, in the service. Right? Better to sleep here, surround with people, and surround with heavenly angels. That's a good place to sleep. If you're going to sleep, certainly sleep through the sermon. You don't know how long it was, right? So you don't know it was such a long sermon that way, right? <laughs> I remember driving along with a friend. We were driving up to Tallahassee, and, and uh, we were going along the road. I was driving, he was in the passenger seat. And I looked over at him, and his, his head was bobbing all over the place. His mouth was open. And so we were going along. And then uh, one of the ladies had to use the restroom, and so I pulled off at some place. And I pulled off and stopped the car and showed up the end, and he woke up. And I said, so you had a nice little nap? He said, oh, no, I've been awake. <laughs> anyway, he, was, he was like that for over an hour, right? He didn't have no idea, no concept of time. You make up in the, wake up in the middle of the night, you don't know. It, it, was I asleep for an hour? Is it 3 o'clock? Is it 5 o'clock? It's pitch dark. Unless you look, until you look over at the clock, you have no idea how long you were asleep, right? Fall asleep at the wheel, you have no idea how many miles you went down the road <laughs> until you hit something, right? Then you wake up. Because we don't know anything. The dead know not anything. That's what the Bible says. That's what Solomon said. They don't know anything. Put not your trust, this is from Psalms 146, put not your trust in princes, nor in the sons of men, in whom there is no help. His breath goes forth. He returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. When we die, our thoughts perish. They stop, they cease. Another text in Ecclesiastes, they have no more portion in anything that takes place here on this earth. 
So the thoughts perish, they don't know anything, they're resting in peace. For the, in death there is no remembrance of you, in the grave who will give you thanks? Psalm 6 verse 5. So David's referring to it this way, no remembrance, no remembrance of you. There's, they're not up in heaven giving thanks, they're not up in heaven praising the Lord. Right? That's common thinking, but it doesn't go right with the Bible. It actually is seeped in among Bible believers coming out of paganism from Satan. Satan has tricked it, brought it in through paganism, and brought it into among Bible believers. But according to the scriptures, many, many texts all throughout the Bible, they're not giving thanks, they're resting in peace, they're asleep, not giving thanks, they have no thoughts, their thoughts have perished, they know not any until they arise. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. Psalm 115. The dead do not praise the Lord. Until the resurrection. And it all comes from the devil's very first lie. He said, you shall not surely die. You don't really die. It just seems like a death. It's just the body or whatever. You don't surely die. God said, you will die, eat of that fruit, you will die. Satan says, no, 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 you won't die. His very, very first lie, his masterful deception that has swept this world. And you think about it, he probably only had one shot at gaining humanity. If he would have blown it, Adam and Eve would have been on to his wiles, and they would have seen him and known what it was up to, and he wouldn't have had another chance. And so I would imagine he plotted and planned and watched and waited to understand the psyche of humans, of Adam and Eve. Waited for the right opportunity and found just the right lie. You won't surely die. You go on into a better state. You become like God. You know more. Instead of what the Bible says, you know nothing, you know more. You become enlightened directly contrasting what the Bible says. The Bible's pretty clear, very clear. We don't know anything. We do die until we arise, and we do rest, and we do not know anything. Yeshua referring to Lazarus in John chapter 11, verse 11. A Lazarus, Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. Yeshua spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Yeshua said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. It's like all these other writers of the Bible, Yeshua uses this word sleep to refer to death. And Martha understood about the judgment because she responded, I know that he will arise again in the resurrection at the last day. When Yeshua comes to her, she says, don't worry, your brother will arise. She says, I know he will arise in the last day. She didn't say, well, he's up in heaven looking down on us and he's praising the Lord and he's in a better place. She said, I know he will rise. I have assurance in him in, in, that he had faith in you, that he had loved God, that he will rise like Daniel. He's resting, he's asleep, and he will awaken at the last day, at the end of time, with David, with Daniel. I have assurance of that. That's what she believed. Where did she get that from? 
from the Psalms, from Daniel, from the rest of scriptures. Now Yeshua was going to do something special. But the Lord said, by this time there was a bad odor. So, so he says he's going to read it. And they said, Lord, by this time there is a bad odor. For he has been there four days. He's been in the tomb for four days. He's going to bring him out of the tomb. He's going to stink the high heavens. And Yeshua called him forth. And Lazarus came out of the tomb alive. Resurrection. Four days in the, four days dead. That's a long time. Now, the Bible talks a lot of, uh, a number of people who were raised from the dead. About 10 or so people that were raised from the dead. They eventually died again, but they were raised for a time. Lazarus, four days. How many books in the Bible are written by Lazarus about his four days in heaven? That makes some book, right? How about a chapter? Is there a chapter in the Bible? What, what, what book is the chapter written by Lazarus describing his four days in bliss of heaven? How about a verse? Is there a verse in the Bible? Is there, where's the verse? What verse is in the Bible describing Lazarus giving his testimony? Or many, any of these other seven to ten people who died and, 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 and were resurrected? No text. No books. No bestseller list. No going on speaking tours. No telling. Why not? Why didn't Lazarus write a book about his experience? Because his thoughts perished and he knew nothing for four days. Let me tell you, if I was Lazarus and if I was in heaven for four days and Yeshua called me forth, I would not listen. I would not come back. <laughs> I would not come down. I would not come out of the grave. Right? Or from down, I wouldn't come down. I'd say, oh no, I'm having too good of a time up here. Right? He'd be weeping and wailing to see his sisters again. No testimony. Oh, I was having a great time with, with Noah and Moses and Methuselah and Adam and Eve. You want to hear about a secret about Adam? <laughs> he really doesn't have a belly button. You know, whatever. He didn't tell anything. Right? There's no testimony from Lazarus or any of these other people about being in heaven for all this time with all these people. I make a good chapter, make a good book, make a few good verses at least. Nothing. Because of what the Bible says. Thoughts perished. He was resting in the grave. He came forth. That's what Yeshua said. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth out of the grave. He didn't say come down. He didn't say come back. He said come forth. So now some facts regarding near-death experiences. One fact is none of the people who've experienced near-death experiences really died. Why not? Because it was near-death experience, right? A near accident, right? A near accident is not an accident, right? A Mack truck can miss you by a half an inch and it still missed you. You won't have a scratch on your car, right? A bullet can miss you by a millimeter and it still missed you, right? If it's a near miss, it's a miss. It's a near-death experience. It's not an after-death experience. It's not an in-death experience. It's a near-death experience. So they've never really clinically fully died when they have these experiences. Another thing is very resemble hallucinations. You read some of the testimonies of people who've experienced some of these outer body experiences when they're in these near-death experiences, or someone who's high on LSD or something like that, they sound very similar. And there's a reason for that, because what type of condition are we in most often when we're near death? 
Maybe we've been in a car accident and our body has trauma or our head has trauma or maybe we're in the middle of a surgery and even though we've been given anesthesia and we're not feeling it, the knife is still cutting through our flesh and our body is still feeling the pain, right? And so intense pain can cause the mind to hallucinate. Or again, if you're under anesthesia, the drugs that are given to you, you're having a heart attack, they're pumping you with drugs or something like that, to, will cause hallucinations. Or if, again, we're bleeding and have lots of bleeding from an accident or sick or having a stroke or a heart attack, the blood's not flowing it like it should, and so the brain is not getting the oxygen it needs, and thus it can hallucinate. And so all these are symptoms of what could take place and why it would be that people would see these kind of hallucinations, like being on drugs, because we may be on drugs, or our body is in trauma, or our brain is not getting proper oxygen. And that's what then causes those experiences, or intense fear, or having heard some other person's story, and so those things come to mind, and so that's the experience. It's not a death experience, it's a near-death experience. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6, the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits, referring to someone we know, someone we're familiar with, who's died, a familiar spirit, to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. Well, that's pretty strong words. If you talk to someone who's been dead, God's going to set his face against you and cut you off. That's pretty strong. Now, why? Why? If they love us and they care about us and they're familiar with us and they're familiar with our situation and they've died and they've gone to heaven and they know what it's like in heaven, why shouldn't they be able to come back and tell us about it? Why shouldn't they be able to warn us? Why can't they, you know, again, communicate with us in some way, shape, or form? Because they're not in heaven. Because they don't know anything. Because their thoughts have perished. And they're not praising the Lord. And so otherwise, yeah, otherwise God would allow it. That would be a good thing. That would be a helpful thing. Someone who loves us, someone who cares about us, someone who knows our situation, could give us a proper warning, and that we'd listen to them more than maybe somebody else. That'd be very helpful. But God warns very strongly in several different places, do not talk with the dead. Do not communicate with the dead. Do not attempt to communicate with the dead. For these reason, reasons, because it's not them that were... So who is these people? For they are spirits of demons performing signs. Revelation 16, 14. Satan himself will transform himself into an angel of light 1 Corinthians 11:14. If Satan can transform himself into an angel of light, and he can transform himself into a snake to deceive Eve, do you think that he can transform himself into someone who looks like someone we knew? Some loved one of ours who has died? That he can impersonate their voice? That he can say, or one of these evil angels can say things that only we and that person knew? But of course, Evil angels are hanging around and they hear these things and they know these things as well. Be a masterful deception. And it is a masterful deception. And again, remember, this was Satan's very first lie and it worked so masterfully on the parents of humanity. He hasn't given up on it. It's his favorite trick. And he's been infiltrating it ever since. Thus, it's permeated all pagan religions, and he's got it to permeate it into Bible believers as well. 
and he will use it even more so in these last days. And he is. There's TV shows where people who talk to their dead, dead, dead people, and to talk to dead animals, talk to dead squirrels, all different kinds of things. You know, they just communicate with anything out there, but it's demons impersonating these things. And that's, it's masterful deception. I know some people who've seen apparitions of people that they knew and loved and felt drawn and sound just like them and want to communicate with them. And some have rebuked them and the apparition disappeared. In the name of the Lord, get out of here, Satan. I know you're not my loved one. And poof, they disappear. Now, if they really were the loved one, they wouldn't disappear, right? But in the name of the Lord, they had to disappear because it was an evil angel. I know the people who yielded to it and not a good thing. Because it's really a demon in disguise is what it is that comes and communicates with people. I mean, what a deception. But the emotions take over. You love this person, you miss this person, you think about this person, you love this person for all those years, and here is something that looks just like them, speaking their voice. And you're lonely and you're grieving, and they're calling out to you to be with you again. Who wouldn't want to be with them? But the scriptures is very clear on this text. This is why it's such an important point. And the scriptures are overwhelmingly clear on this matter. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15, The King of kings, the Lord of, Lord, Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. Only God has immortality. And that's a good thing. Because if he, didn't, if he wasn't the only one that had immortality, then Adam and Eve would be able to continue on living in sin. And Cain would be able to continue on living in sin. And Lucifer would be able to continue on, the evil angels living on in sin. But no, God alone has immortality. And another good thing is he gifts it and gives it to those whom he chooses to. And so he will give us the gift of immortality. It's not something we have. It's a gift that he gives to us. When? At the end of time, when he comes and awakens us and gives us that gift. And so praise the Lord that he is immortal, that he will never die. That he will live forever and ever and ever. We don't have to worry about the sun going out. We don't have to worry about God's glory ever going out. Right? It'll, he'll shine forever and ever and ever. He is from before time. There is no time beginning of anything. And he will last forever and ever and ever. He has immortality. But he's the only one who does. Right? I think it was, uh, oh, I forget one, some comedian said, you know, I'm not trying to, Gain immortality through fame. I'm trying to gain immortality by not dying, right? So, and uh, that's the only way that we can get immortality is by not dying. And really, we all die. I think that we have a text here that says that. Okay, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord, so what happens then when we die? And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So we have this clear process that takes place. You have God forming out of the dust. So you've got material matter. You've got this immaterial matter, God's breath being breathed and coming into the man, the person, and then him becoming something else, becoming a living soul. Two elements coming together. Two elements joined together make a third element. Right? 
like sodium and or the chloride, chlorine, make salt, you put the two together, is that right? Do I got that right? right? Two poisons, if you eat them separately, will kill you. You put them together and we have something that we can eat. Two chemicals making a third chemical, right? So we got these two elements making a third element. Got the dust and God's breath, his spirit, his ruach, making a living soul. And so in reverse, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Right? So the spirit goes back to God, the dust goes back to the earth, dust to dust, the spirit goes back to God, so the exact opposite of when God created Adam and Eve. And then when those two things are separated, they no longer exist, right? The salt disappears when you separate the sodium and chloride. Psalm 104, verse 29, you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. Again, the breath goes back to God, he takes it away, he takes it back, and we go back to dust. It's God's breath that goes back to him, and it's the dust that goes back. The breath doesn't have a brain, the, death, the, the, the breath doesn't have a th thoughts, the brain is part of the body, and the body goes back to dust. So there's no thoughts. The thoughts perish. There's no thinking. There's no remembrance. You send forth your spirit. They are created, and you renew the face of the earth. Right? So back to creation. So when he calls forth, like Lazarus, he called forth, and he breathed his breath back into him, and it came back the body, and he arose. And same at the end of time. God will speak forth his breath. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Messiah will rise first. Right? He breathes back his spirit. He sends forth his spirit, and we're recreated. The bones come back together and recreated like Ezekiel's dry bones. Right? So these are prophecies of the resurrection. David talking about the resurrection. Daniel talking about the resurrection. You will arise in the last day. God will breathe his spirit back. Ezekiel 18, verse 4, But the soul that sinneth, it shall die. So the soul ceases, because the soul is the combination of those two things. Like the salt, when you separate those two, it ceases to exist. It doesn't go with one or the other. The salt didn't go with the chlorine or go with the sodium. It separated and then it ceases to exist. Right? Like uh, you used to have a, uh, a riddle, right? What disappears when you stand up? Your lap, right? So you have it when you're sitting down, you got a lap, you stand up, you no more lap, right? A lap is part of the combination that takes place. Another type of example, you got a light bulb, right? So you got this bulb there, it's a physical thing, like a body, like a dust. And you have electricity, right? This unseen generation of God's breath, God's energy, right? So the electricity representing that. And you put the two together, the electricity and the bulb, and voila, you get light. A third element comes forth, the light shines forth, represented by the life, the soul, right? Soul is interchangeable with life, my soul, my life, right? We sometimes say that you go into a store and it's empty and you go, there wasn't a living soul there, right? It was empty. There was no one there. All right, so the light shines forth. You unplug it, and the light goes out. You separate the two. The breath goes back to God. The electricity goes back to the wall. The bulb eventually shatters, dies, you know, goes back to dust, crashes. The body goes back to the dust. Then you replug it back in, and the electric flows into the bulb, and we have light again. So the light just ceases to exist until it gets right replugged in. 
It doesn't go into another atmosphere. It doesn't go somewhere. The light doesn't go somewhere. The salt doesn't go somewhere. It just ceases when you have those two things separated, and it comes back when you bring them back together. That's, what, that's, that's the process. And so when God brings it back together, he comes forth, he breathes forth his breath, and we come back to life. So the, so the soul just ceases to exist until that time. Psalms 17, verse 15. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. So David speaking himself. As Peter and Paul said, he has not ascended into heaven. He's sleeping. He's at rest. He will awake, as he said regarding himself. I will awake, as it was said to Daniel. Rest and you will awake. He will awake at that time. And I'm looking forward to that waking up time. I mean, I wouldn't mind sleeping between now and then. I like sleeping. Sleeping's a good thing. I enjoy it. I do it more and more all the time. The older I get, I like doing it even more. If I get paid for sleeping, I'd be a rich man. I'd be, I could make a lot of money sleeping, right? I could do that day and night. I, I, I enjoy it, right? It's a good thing. I could sleep in the middle of the day, the end of the day, the beginning of the day. I hate getting up. I like sleeping, right? That'd be great. I wouldn't mind taking a little nap until the Lord returns. It'd be a lot easier for me, right? It'd be a whole lot easier for me. Be nice. Take a little rest. Nice break. And the Lord wake me up at the end. But what about these texts that seem to say the opposite? Now, the key word there is seem, right? Because the Bible does not contradict itself. So a Bible principle for this topic and for all topics, we don't use one text to override other texts. We need to continue to study the Bible until all the texts on that topic come together in harmony together. And so one principle is, as you study the topic, you gather all the texts together, like we did, you have those 60 texts there, plus the, the ones we, we've looked at here. You bring all these texts in and other texts, you bring them all in on this topic. And usually there's a majority that are very clear and very plain. And you go with that, and they're on one side, and then there's always a few texts that seem to sell the opposite. And what many people do is they grab these few texts and they run with that. And that's part of our, I think, our carnal nature that we like to do that and ignore the rest, the majority, the plainest, the clearest text on a topic. But that's how you're supposed to do it. Look at it as, as we've done, and then we bring these others into harmony with those, the majority. Bring the few into harmony with the majority. So an example, absent from the body, present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Now Paul wrote that. Now an important thing about Paul, when we're reading Paul, Peter warned us, Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, our beloved brother Paul, right? So he liked Paul, you didn't have anything. He's my beloved brother, I love him. He's my brother, Paul. In all his epistles, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction. Right? And so when we're reading Paul, we need to take that into consideration. He writes some things that are hard to understand, and we don't want to twist them to our own destruction. We need to understand them in light of the rest of the Bible. Now, some people want to throw Paul out, and that's horrible, because he's great, rightly understood, but use the rest of the Bible to understand Paul, not the other way around. Too often, I've seen people try and use a text from Paul and try and throw out 60, 100 texts 
that say very clearly something else or interpreted differently. So here Paul's saying the same thing. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Because as far as the person is concerned who dies, again, when we're asleep, when we die, we don't know anything. Our thoughts perish. So we don't have an aspect of time. As far as the person is concerned, the next thing they see when the Lord comes and the Lord descends from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, he wakes up, the angels are descending and gathering from one end of the earth to the other, the elect, and he wakes up, comes up out of the grave, rises first, and he looks up and he sees the Lord in his glory and brought up together to meet the Lord in the air. So as far as time goes, it's for, for Adam and Eve down to the end, it seemed like the same amount of time. Whether we've slept 10 hours or we slept one hour, as far as we're concerned, it's the same. We don't know when we're asleep. It just takes place, right? The alarm doesn't go off and you sleep late. You didn't even realize it. You slept right through it. And kept saying, I have no idea, no concept of time when we're asleep. And so as far as we are concerned, when we're absent, the next thing we will know is the presence of the Lord. And we're in God's hands, but our mind is not there. We're not thinking. God has our records sealed with him. We're in his heart. He loves us. He cares about us. He hasn't forgotten us. He will come back for us. He will awaken us. But we're not there singing with him according to the texts and Psalms and Ecclesiastes and many other texts in the Bible. Matthew, Yeshua's testimony. Another text that is often misunderstood. In Luke chapter 23, Yeshua said to one of the thieves that was getting killed with him, Assuredly I say to you today, Assuredly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. So people say, See, he promised him he's going to be in paradise that day with him. Well, go a few more verses. I have not yet ascended to my father. Three days later when Yeshua is raised and he sees Mary and Mary wants to grab and hug him, he says, oh, no, don't hug me yet. I have not yet ascended to my father. And that thief is waiting up there in heaven for three days. Where is he? He said he was going to be here three days ago. He's late. He promised me he was going to be there the same day I was. What happened? Did Yeshua lie to him? Did Yeshua law, wrong? Did he get lost? What happened for three days? It's all in the commas. Right? Where do you put the commas? In the Bible, when the Bible is written, there's no commas, there's no periods, there's no question marks. That makes writing, I guess, a lot easier, right? I hate no, trying to figure out where a comma goes. But anyways, there were no commas, so it's all where you put the commas. Like, here's a sentence, right? A woman without her man is nothing. Right? Can we agree on that? How many of you agree with that? Right? <laughs> I've got a few hands. Hey, a man without her hand, woman, a woman without her man is nothing. Right? So a woman is nothing without a man. Right? Pretty clear. That's not a Bible text. So just you, you make it, you know, it safe. That's not a Bible text. It's just on the chalkboard there, right? But now we put a couple of commas in. Ready? Here we go. A couple of commas. A woman without her man is nothing. Same exact words, in the same exact order, with just two little commas put in there, and it changes the entire meaning 180%. Right? Totally flips it on its side. In the first one, the woman is nothing without the man. In the second one, the man is nothing without the woman. A woman, without her, man is nothing. 
Right? How many agree with the first, play, the first way it's written? How many agree with the second way? Right? It's all in the comments. So the same thing, we look back at this text out of Luke chapter 23. Assuredly, I say to you, this is how it's written in many translations, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. But if that comma was placed one word over, it would say, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Right? Like uh, Wimpy used to say to Popeye, right? You give me a hamburger today and I will pay you on Thursday, right? So the emphasis on today. I assuredly, I tell you today, this day, this is the day that the Lord has made, this day of all days, this day that all prophecy has pointed to, this day that Daniel's prophecies have pointed to, this day that all the prophets spoke about, this day when my disciples have fled from me and don't even believe in me, this day when it looks like everything is over, this day when it looks like I'm going to die and the whole movement is over, this day that it looks like it's ended, this day that seems so un uh, unhopeful, this day. You recognize me when no one else is. And so this day, above all days, this day when I am paying the price for your sins, this day that makes your salvation possible, this day, I promise you today, because of today, because of my death, I assure you, you will be on the last day with me in paradise when I come back to take you home. Same words. This way, it's in harmony with all the rest of the scriptures. So what are we going to go with? Our feelings that we love, thinking Aunt Florence is up there in heaven, looking down on us, or are we going to go with the plain words of scripture? We're going to believe the serpent beguiling us, you won't surely die. Or are we going to believe God? Don't talk to familiar spirits. The dead know not anything. It's an important topic. Which will we believe? Again, it's emotions versus logic. But really, emotionally, I think we should rethink that as well. Just think about this young couple newly married, in love with each other, the whole life ahead of them, and they have a young girl together, so sweet, so beautiful, happily together. And then a year after the child is born, the mother dies. But she believes in the Lord, and she's whisked off to heaven, and she's praising the Lord, and she's looking down on her loved ones. And a few years later, the father begins to beat and abuse their daughter. A few more years go by, the girl gets a little older, and the father remarries, and the mother beating, this new mother, stepmother, beating and abusing their daughter. Then together the two decide to sell her out, to make some money off of her and sell her out on the streets. How happy is her mother if she was up in heaven looking down on that situation?
in God's mercy, he lets us sleep. Could you imagine what it would be like for Adam and Eve for the last 6,000 years of watching Cain kill Abel, of watching the wars and the tortures, people skinning other people to death, beheading people, rapes and abuse, people starving to death in mass, slow, agonizing process, being tortured, whipped, beaten, pulled apart, eaten by lions, all because of their sin? Could they possibly be happy watching this earth? I mean, it's horrible watching the news. Could you imagine never being able to shut it off? And seeing it all at one time, God's heart breaks. What would it be like for humanity? No, God in his mercy has them waiting, resting, resting in peace, taking a nap, waiting for the Lord's coming. And how beautiful when we all go together that all who are in the graves will hear his voice. The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and then the dead in Messiah will rise first, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together, all together, to meet the Lord in the air, to experience it simultaneously. Right? How much... It's not nearly as much fun if, if your spouse or your friend has to go on the cruise for the first half of the cruise without you. Now you go on ahead, you go for the first four or five days, I'll catch up with you and we'll spend the last couple days together. Right? It's not the same thing, right? It's not the same experience. And God wants us to experience it together, to see him coming in all of his glory, the glory of his Father, with all of his angels, and meeting him together, going up together. That's exactly what Paul says. So Paul, very plain text. People take a simple, uh, hard-to-understand text and twist it to their own destruction. But then Paul has other plain texts. Paul was the one who said about David that he is asleep. And here, Peter, Paul again, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. We shall not all sleep. Right? So he used this term. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed, for this mortal must put on immortality. All right, so very clearly, Paul's not talking about them being in heaven. Paul clearly saying they're asleep. Paul clearly saying that it's at the last trump. The Messiah will come with the last trump. He will sound it forth. He's in full harmony with what Yeshua said. Full harmony what David wrote. Full harmony what Daniel wrote. The dead will raise incorruptible. That's when they will raise at the last trump. What's the purpose of the resurrection if we're already in heaven? What's the purpose of the Lord having to come if we're already in heaven? We shall be changed, and this mortal must put on immortality. We don't have immortality. We have mortality, which means we die. We will die. 
The living know that they will die. But the dead know not anything. Mortals will die. But we put on immortality. God, who only has immortality, gives that gift at the last trump when he raises the dead. That's when we receive the gift. That's when we receive it. When this corruptible has put on incorruption, this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Satan made a pact with death and the grave. And he asked death, if you can kill them, grave, will you hold them? And Grave said, if you bring them to me, I will hold them fast. And so since the beginning of time, Abel and Adam and Eve and down through the ages, Satan and death have been delivering people to the grave. And the grave has been holding them fast. And then Satan came to death and grave again, and said, if I can bring about Yeshua's death, if I can bring the Messiah to you, can you hold him fast? And Grave said, no problem. Look at all the ones I've held since that time. I can hold them as well. No problem. I will hold them fast. I will hold him fast for, for you. And so Satan worked very hard and death worked very hard. And they finally got their opportunity and Yeshua was murdered and killed and died and buried in the grave. And on the first day, Satan came to the grave and said, do you have him? I've got him. Don't worry, I've got him. I've got him secure right here. They even put a stone in front of the tomb. I've got him, he's not going anywhere. On the second day, Satan came to grave again and said, do you still have him? I told you I've got him, no problem, go away, leave me alone. I've got him, I promised you I will hold him, I have him, I will have him forever. On the third day, Satan came to the grave and said, oh grave, do you have him? And the grave said, well, I had him. I had him secure. <laughs> But a voice sounded forth, and the tomb, the stone rolled away, and he came forth out of the grave, and he's gone. He's risen. He is not here. And Satan and death and the grave have continued their pack. And Satan has checked on all the rest since. But a day is coming soon and very soon. When Yeshua will come on the clouds with all his angels with him and the dead in Messiah will rise first and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And as we're ascending in the air, we will turn back and say, O oh death, where is your victory? O oh death, where is your sting? O oh grave, where is your victory? The Lord has brought us forth. He has given us the gift of immortality. He has awoken us from the grave with Daniel and with David and with Adam and with Eve, and we will meet the Lord together in the air, and thus we shall ever be with the Lord. For all eternity, hallelujah is right.